welcome back to your Average Outdoorsman podcast for the second episode. Today, I'm your host, Johnny, and with... I'm your co-host, Connor. Yep. And today, we've got... A lot to talk about. Yep. So, Johnny, start it off. What do you got? Got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Uh, Well, today's plan I had for, I guess, this thing I saw in the news. I was looking at wildlife news to try and find a topic, and I found this thing called... Recovering America's Wildlife Act, which was a new, I believe, bill or something that didn't get passed. That it did not of, get passed. From what I can read, no, but a lot of nature groups were pretty upset. So let me just read this to be sure. I'm using uh, the Nature Conservancy, uh, I guess, newsletter page, because I think that's a fairly trustworthy source. Sounds pretty trustworthy in my opinion. But it's supposed to be, it was supposed to be an act that would... Would invest $1.397 billion per year in state and tribal efforts to help wildlife at risk of extinction and help those species already in danger of recover. Did they list any species that it would go towards? Because that's a lot of money. Uh, They said endangered species, which is a little different now. Uh, People said, who said? I forgot who. News people were saying that it was one of the, the biggest wildlife legislation since the Endangered Species Act of 1973, which was a really big deal because, for those of you guys who didn't know, 1973 was a very different time as far as wildlife is concerned, especially here in New Jersey. Like, the stuff we see now and take for granted of, the white-tailed deer, even like Canada geese, turkeys and stuff, they were really on the edge back in the, I want to say 70s or like, yeah. Around that time, it's... A lot different. Actually, wait, no, I mixed that up. Those were on the edge, I guess, late 1800s before hunting laws became into effect. But then there were some other species, I guess you could say some non-game species that became threatened. And it wasn't really hunting. It was by the 70s, America was becoming developed. So draining swamps, cutting down woods, that kind of stuff. It was mm. really killing so, off a lot so of are they are they taking this money and putting it into buying land or to like think... keep that land conserved? Or is like, what's that going towards exactly? It says... Because it says, like, oh, it's going to... State and tribal efforts to help wildlife at risk. Yeah, but, like, what what are they going to do with that money to help help the things at risk? Are they going to buy land, keep it conserved? Are they going to... I don't really know. The thing with government spending, they're not very specific. I would assume buy land, but we do own... By we, I mean the United States, like, people, the government, public mm-hmm. land, if you want to say. There is a lot of that. National parks, there's wildlife refuges, and some private land. Sometimes people have private land that's ignored, so a lot of species are doing pretty well. Yeah. Especially we just got off of COVID in 2020, which not a lot of people were out, so that was, in my opinion, I'd say that's pretty good for wildlife. They got to spend a year without getting, like, harassed by tourists or whatever. Yeah. So a lot of them seem to be doing well to target uh, endangered species. Really? So all this money is, isn't going for you know, just an overall conservation effort? It's just like the endangered ones? Yeah, which but is But that's weird. for the state or for the country, right? It's country-wide, right? I believe it's country. It says for state and tribal efforts, and I'm not really sure what a tribal effort is. So. Let me just look that up real quick. Sounds very interesting. I'd love, to, I'd love to know more about this. When was this pup, pup, um, sorry, I'm having a stroke, published? Tribal efforts with tribal governments. So let me see when the article was published. Um, 
This article was published December 19th, 2022, so technically old news, but still somewhat relevant. It's, yeah. It's a big bill. I actually have it up here right now on my phone, just looking through it. Read some stuff off of it. See what we got. Let me see what we got. Title I, Wildlife Conservation and Restoration. This title establishes and funds a sub-account of the Wildlife Conservation and Restoration Account, which was established under the Pittman-Robertson Wildlife Restoration Act. Okay. That one I'd want to point out what I was saying earlier with the um, the white-tailed deer and the turkeys, basically game animals for hunting. I believe that's that's what it was. That was the big conservation act. Whenever you hear hunters and fishermen say, we fund conservation, that's one of the reasons why, because of the Pittman-Robertson Act. Hmm. So let me keep reading. Where was I? The sub-account must be used to support efforts of states, territories, or the District of Columbia to recover and manage wildlife and plant species of greatest conservation needs. So, things that are really on the edge. We do have a few. Some are interesting. There's some interesting cases, like um, the jaguar and the woodland caribou. The woodland caribou is a caribou that used to live basically in almost all our northern states there was them in idaho i believe maybe washington more even nor'easter in, northeastern or? northeastern too even in maine vermont upstate new york yeah. now they're limited to only really canada with a very small population in north idaho but from what i can see i think they're doing fairly decent in idaho this but is the woodland caribou right woodland caribou but they're really endangered in America, which is weird. Like, the species as a whole, I don't think is insanely endangered, but they are in the United States. So the main difference between the woodland caribou and, like, whatever other caribou there is up in, like, Canada and stuff is that yeah. they're woodland rather than, like, open plains. I think, like, habitat-wise, yeah, they can survive in more wooded areas. There's a few different caribou species that I gotta look into, but we could talk about that in another podcast yeah. and then... With the thing, the other thing I was saying, the jaguar is the same kind of thing. They're doing pretty decent Central America, pretty well in South America too. But they're really endangered in the United States, where <clears throat> sometimes there's some that just move I don't through, be for right? Sure. Maybe Texas, I, maybe. But I don't know if they like Arizona. reside here, like like completely live here as much as they it's move hard through. To say. Some do. It's it's really hard to say because the big cats, cats in general. For anyone who's ever tried to go out and find a bobcat or something, they're very secretive animals. They don't want to be found, so it's very hard to research them. So it's hard to tell if we have jaguars. We do have ocelots. There was um, something that came out last year, a movie I'd want to watch, called um, some movie about Texas wildlife. And they mentioned ocelots in it. Um, what was that other thing? On PBS, they had another documentary made by the same people called American Ocelot, where they had these camera traps out of an ocelot that lives in South Texas with some babies. I didn't see the whole thing. Is that the thing, only one they found? Bits and pieces. That's what these people found, but there might be more because yeah. they're secretive animals. It's hard to find. So things like ocelots and jaguars aren't necessarily endangered as a whole, but in the United States they are. So that's one interesting thing to think about because mm -hmm. that might be where some of this money is going towards. I have a question about endangered, non-endangered. Were minks ever endangered in New Jersey? Ever? I don't know. I do know fur trapping was big. Mink might have been. Because I will say, the past mm. two years, I've seen more mink than I've ever seen before. Yeah, it seems I don't know like if that's like because their numbers just went up or... Or maybe we're, we might be exploring more, but yeah. I, I don't know if it's like a personal thing, but... 
It could be that. Cleaner water, probably. New Jersey was a horrible state. There's these things called super fun sites. We have a lot of toxic waste in this state, and recently I feel like we've become... Not recently, but we've been, been becoming a little cleaner, and then I feel like things kind of went downhill a bit recently. If you look at it, we have more buildings and stuff, mm -hmm. I think... We're kind of taking a step backwards as far as New Jersey goes, but... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of woods that used to be around here two years ago that's cut down now. Yeah, there are a lot of Putting woods. in, like, there. townhouses, and, you know, they cut this piece of mm -hmm. woods down, like, like, a few years ago, and they, it's still nothing. Like, it's just a field now. Like, they cut it down for nothing, it seems like. Yeah. It's not really... They're not building on it or anything. It's just they cut it down. Well, this one's a slightly off-topic, but you mentioned mink being endangered. There's actually something forgot exactly where it lives. I believe the eastern coast called the sea mink, which was something really cool. A mink that lived in the ocean. Really? Yeah. Well, not in the it's ocean, but on the coast. Still around, like right? uh, No, it got killed off. Wow. What, Extinct. by trapping? Like, yeah, unregulated trapping? Trapping stuff, probably some habitat issues. Loss, yeah. Yeah. Are there any, like, introduced species to this state that have been harmful to any, we'll say, native native species that you know of? There's a lot. That's another thing. Introduced species, because we were talking about the Endangered Species Act. They can threaten endangered species. We have... What are some introduced? The thing about introduced species, it can happen from sometimes anyone. There was this one guy who, from what I read, I have to check if this is exactly true, but he was obsessed with Mozart. And basically, he had all these starlings, which were a bird that think maybe i don't know if i should use the word inspired but you know it's a bird that has a kind of pretty call the european starling he released a bunch of them in new york city and now we have them everywhere mm. and they're kind of a pain you might see them they're these slightly black birds not the grackles i believe the grackles are native the starlings are not native and they cause a lot of trouble actually harm to invasive species i mean endangered species like um the red-headed woodpecker which Maybe not endangered, but they're definitely not doing too well. What happens is the starlings will kick the the woodpeckers out of their holes and steal it as a nest. So, really? <clears throat> yeah, the woodpecker is left with no home, so that happens a lot. We also I have mean, the invasive... Uh, I don't think it's a big deal in New Jersey, but some states they have the wild horses, which can sometimes cause some problems. They're, they're invasive? Technically, some parts of the country, I think they are, because they over overgraze and really destroy a lot of habitat. Mm. Harmful pronghorn, mule deer, a lot of native species. Yeah, I will say, I feel like there's also introduced species that could cause benefit. Is that true? Yeah, there's things like. But like, there's also mm -hmm. a variety of different species that were introduced that were thought to be beneficial and turned out oh, to be. Oh yeah, the government uh, decided to not good. <laughs> Yeah, they decide to do some stuff, like if there were too many bugs, they decide to... Put in, like, birds or something. In, yeah. Bring in this and this species. This doesn't just happen in America. A bunch of different countries do this. But... A, a really good representation of invasive um, species, especially fish species. Actually, no. Fish and reptile species in Florida. Oh, yeah, that's a... I was down there in October, I believe, yeah. Pythons. Yeah, I didn't see pythons, but they're a problem. The, the iguanas, iguanas are yeah. a problem. They dirty up the water. Oh my goodness. I've seen, last time I was in Florida, I saw so many iguanas. Dirty, okay, that wasn't right. I don't think dirtying up the water, but they do some stuff. Yeah, I think... I forgot what I kind think, of damage, but they do damage. Yeah, they do like um, residential damage, like mm -hmm. the houses and stuff, I'm pretty sure. Or yeah. Not house, maybe like property. 
Habitat probably too, dig up stuff. Yeah, habitat. They disrupt probably some native lizards. Yeah, there's a lot of invasive. There's chameleons, which is a crazy thing. In Florida? Yeah, chameleons yeah. in Florida. There's even though if you go to Florida, you see those little brown lizards. Those aren't yeah, invasive. Yeah, yeah. And they the only push out. the only native anole is the green anole in Florida. Yeah, and they're getting pushed out from the brown anoles. So yeah. Yeah. A lot of endangered species in Florida too. There's one that's. Super rare that's struggling, not necessarily from invasive species, but also habitat destruction, which is one of the big things, the snail kite, which is a really interesting animal because it's a bird of prey that only eats snails. That's it? That's its diet. It eats snails. It has a specialized beak and everything, which really begs the question, I guess not the question, but it's it's hard to see. Are these species worth saving? Because there's other animals that eat snails, and if the snails mm-hmm. are in decline... It's really hard to try and protect some of these things, like the snail kite, which has an insanely specialized diet. Yeah. Uh, conservation can be really hard with a lot of these things, but it does work. And it makes it harder with these invasive species. Yeah, especially with these invasive species. If, if yeah. you look at all the fish in Florida, the amount oh, of invasive my. fish in Florida is actually crazy. Yeah. You got the peacock bass, which I don't know if they do too much damage. I don't like know about affect it too bad, but there's yeah. the peacock bass, which is technically a cichlid. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other cichlid species down there that aren't native. There's what's the one? It's 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 like a catfish, but like they're in it's fish tanks. Catfish? No, they're in fish tanks. They're like they're black and armored plated. Sturgeon? No, that's, no, not, that's right. not in Florida. Plated. Uh, they're they're snakeheads. I don't, I don't know why I can't. No, it's like a plated catfish, almost, and they're they're in a fish tanks to keep them clean. I forget the name of them. Oh, plecos. Plecos. Yeah, there you go. Those things, they're, they're invasive. Yeah. There's a lot of invasive stuff I've in Florida. I've seen plecos there, yeah. Yeah, I saw a couple when yeah. I was down there. But we, Florida, I can also see living proof of conservation working. Things like the great egret, which we see a lot of nowadays. We might not think about them. They were endangered. Actually, this is early on. I think it was because the Migratory Bird Act of 1918... People used to kill them for the feathers, that's it, just feathers for the fashion industry, fancy hats and stuff, so these beautiful white birds were getting killed off at crazy rates. Hmm. You can see today how conservation works. I was down in Florida, the alligators are doing really well, they used to be endangered, a lot of gators. The crocodiles in Florida, introduced or were they always there? Uh, they're native, but they're only in a very small part. Yeah. Uh, there was an invasive species, not necessarily introduced, it's the... The caiman that lives down there. There's caiman in Florida? Yeah, I'm going to assume... Not assume. They're people's pets that got released well, yeah. because there were some big hurricanes. A bunch of... That's how most of the invasive species came to be. A big hurricane released them and they just learned to adapt because it's... Florida's a pretty forgiving area for species like the caiman, the yeah. python. They cannot survive up Anything there. Anything that's like Amazon rainforest type animal, I'd say, uh, could probably... Caimans do live in the... Amazon. Yeah, the Amazon. Yeah. That's actually... Same with the pythons, correct? Yeah, slightly off topic since we were talking about jaguars, though. Jaguars actually hunt caimans in the Amazon. Yeah, that's real. I've the seen water. the videos. That's insane, yeah. yeah. It's cool, though. They'll actually go after pursue a caiman. That's awesome. Yeah. And here in New Jersey, you can see the efforts, like how the conservation efforts, some of these laws can be done for good things. Yeah. Look, we have the bald eagles right here in Boonton. Bald eagles and peregrine falcons and osprey. Oh, their numbers went skyrocketing. Insane, yeah. We, we saw them. an eagle 
Today, actually, at Lake Aeroflex. Yeah, the eagles have really come back. The symbol, nation's symbol. They get a lot of special protection and stuff mm-hmm. because national bird, of course they do. Peregrine falcons also seem to get a lot of protections because actually most birds of prey do. Yeah. They have a lot of crazy laws around them. I feel them. like any bird of prey has some especially, sort of law behind it. Especially owls and stuff, yeah. I've never seen an owl. I've seen a snowy owl, but sometime we got to go down to... Maybe not down, but somewhere... Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook, something like that. Gotta go look for some snowy owls this year. Yeah. But, um... Maybe Sunday. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Sunday. Possible video you guys might be able to see. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of seeing an eagle at Lake Aeroflex, we were there today. Yeah. We woke up really early, went out. This is just a little... Five in the morning. Little, uh, description... Of a, a video to come out on our YouTube channel. Yeah, here. I don't want to spoil too much, but... Anyways, we went to, like, Aeroflex to target basically anything. Um, obviously, there's Atlantic landlocked salmon, salmon in yeah. there. Landlocked Atlantic salmon. Caught a couple of those. Um, after catching those fish today, we were really like, these things are very interesting. Yeah, we were doing research on the way so, back in the car. So we started doing research on them on the way back. And Johnny, tell me what you found, because I thought it was very cool. Uh, which one? I found out a well, lot of stuff there. They, they, they used to stock three lakes. They stocked this place called... Um, actually, it's just well, a the, reservoir. Real quick, the, the, the three places that they would stock mm-hmm. are Aeroflex, Tilcon, and Merrill Creek. Right? Oh, with the spot burning. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I guess it is it, common basic knows, knowledge by now. Yeah. Everyone knows these places. But there's this other place called um, Merrill Creek Reservoir where... It said in the article they stopped stocking it because the Atlantic salmon were successfully reproducing. That's which to me is very insane. cool. Landlocked salmon reproducing. And you know what else I found cool? We the way we got the state got the landlocked Atlantic salmon is we would trade Massachusetts pike, northern pike for Atlantic salmon. Yeah. So they would of, stock the pike in Massachusetts, and we stock the uh, landlocked salmon. Yeah, the Fish and Wildlife agencies had kind of a deal where they do that. I don't know if they do it anymore. I was reading in the article. I don't know if they switched it around, but we had that going for a while, and that's why we have Atlantic Salmon. <clears throat> yeah, so stay yeah. tuned for that video. It's going to be yep. a cool one. They do fascinate me, the salmon. I was looking into it a lot. We were doing research. They're a lot tougher. Well, I don't know if tougher is the right word, but then the Western salmon that you see in a lot of documentaries and stuff, like the red sockeye salmon. Well, their way of life's different, in a way. Their way of life's different, but when the other fish go for breeding, they go up the river, breed, and die. A lot of Atlantic salmon, if they can survive the trip, they'll go up, breed, and then head back. To the ocean. Yeah, they're survivors. They're tough animals. Yeah, they're also very beautiful. And very aggressive, too. Oh, my goodness. It's one of the most aggressive fish I think I've ever caught. I'd, I'd bring in the, the lure. They'd smack it, miss it, miss it three times. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. They're coming back for it. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, amazing fish. I think that also brings up an important, I guess, question we could ask, like ethics of introducing species, which is what we were talking about. Because yeah. these are government-introduced species, and I don't know about all trout in general, but I do know a lot of trout can be helpful to the environment, eating um, a lot of flies and stuff. They can be helpful. Yep. I don't know what we used to have here. I don't know. Well, if they we could also them. help whatever's feeding on them. Yeah. Like, if, if you stock a place with rainbow trout, or if there's, like, mm-hmm. brown trout somewhere, everything around there is eaten. Like, the mink, oh, yeah. the eagles, Everything whatever is predatory, 
that's a great food source for them, which I think is a very beneficial oh, thing yeah, about it. It the changes trout. the behavior of everything too. I had I was out in Bootin, this place called Sandland. This one lady came up to me as I was taking pictures of some bufflehead ducks, and she was telling me that in the spring when they stock the rivers, she said the bald eagles like to hang around here when they're stocking the rivers. They're so smart to know that. So they kind of know when the rivers are being stocked to go out there and yeah. catch fish. But yeah, salmon, just also the size, salmon and trout, how they're, a lot of them are mostly big. It's a good meal for a lot of animals, very healthy. Another, another thing that stocking these certain, I'll say certain fish in these lakes, rivers, ponds, whatever, is it draws a lot of attention to them for fishermen. Mm -hmm. And the money that fishermen spend on their licenses to catch these fish, or at the local fishing store yeah. to buy gear to catch these fish, that money goes to some conservation efforts, which I think yep. is another big thing. Helping conserve the river, which also helps other river critters or creatures, I guess you could say smallmouth bass, crayfish, yeah. salamanders. I don't know if we have the hellbender, which is this America's biggest there's salamander. A there's a slight chance. I think there's a chance we have them in New Jersey, but if we do, I think there's like three. some <laughs> trout, some trout conservation could help. Maybe that's the thing. Trout also eat. Eggs well, that's and the stuff. thing. Like if you that conserve a trout though. stream, yeah. Hypothetically, there is a hellbender in there. You're conserving a trout stream. That's also yeah. helping that hellbender. That's also helping what other other fit. What other the mink? What other species are in that river? Tons of species. Feed off the river, well, and they yeah, they off feed the off of it. And if you mm -hmm. if you got a designated river that's like a conservation zone or something, like you can't do certain things. Mm -hmm. I'll say if certain levels of protectiveness of that place, it helps everything there, not just that certain fish. Yeah, which is really good. This is a, a very successful example, but there's also other examples. I don't want to say introduced, but there's things we have invasive fish like the snakehead, some kind of catfish. They are cool, but they cause they, they do crazy cause a damage. Lot of damage. <laughs> and yeah. What? Well, what do they mainly affect? The bowfin, which is native. I think they might. They are similar. They might eat the same food. Uh, does it? I don't. I can't talk. But they provide like competition, which can cause a lot of problems. Yeah. Like unnative competition. Like if you think of a lot of trout and stuff, a lot of trout aren't necessarily new here. They've been here a while, but. Mm -hmm. If you were to just introduce been here for a long time, a random fish, I, I can't think of one right now, but if you just take a random fish from like out west or something, maybe a different country, and just threw it in New Jersey waters, that could cause a lot of problems, disease uh, and stuff. Disease is a big one. Disease is uh, a big one with that yeah. you have to be careful with. Yeah, because I think um, what happened was with, so New Jersey only really stocks rainbow trout mm -hmm. during the trout season. Um, the reason for that being there was a disease that affected the brook and brown trout in the hatchery. And I think they stopped um, stocking them because they were scared that disease would have spread to wild and native trout populations. Is that true? I'm pretty sure I'm 100% right yeah. on that. I don't know if that's true, but that, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. That, that would make sense. But yeah, disease can be very harmful to a lot of these animals. That's why um, another thing, like fishing... The reptile, the pet reptile industry can be a little crazy too because there's a lot of people that want to try and protect native reptiles that are reptile owners, but a lot of reptile owners are getting under attack because new laws with Florida and stuff, they want to try and keep invasive species out, but the thing is, it's kind of hard to do that sometimes. 
because well, a lot of times it's the invasive accident. species are already there. Yeah, the thing is, it happens accidentally. So accidentally or purposely with uneducated people who only oh yeah, that happens a lot. A so lot what happens is a lot of these um a lot of the government and stuff makes these laws where it's harder to own reptiles. Yeah. Which is really annoying to me because I actually own two geckos and it's insane in New Jersey. We're out, it's a pretty nice day today in January, but for most of January, those things would die. I don't know why I have to fill out an exotic animal's license. They might be able to survive this summer, but they're pretty accumulated to humans, and I think they'd get killed pretty quickly. Yeah. So I don't know, like little geckos, I need to get an exotic animal license, which doesn't really make much sense to me. But I don't need an exotic animal license for a green anole, which isn't native to New Jersey, but native to America, so... Oh, yeah, it's so weird. since it's native to America, you don't need. I think that sort I don't know. There's so many weird specific laws. Another problem with these laws is they're vaguely worded. There's one case I saw where this guy, his land was going to get taken away from the government to help these endangered frogs, but the thing is, his land wasn't suitable habitat for the frogs, so they'd have to alter it, build new plants, and like put in new plants and stuff. So yeah. that's a lot of things. That's a I don't want to get like political or anything, but that can be a big problem with things like the Endangered Species Act, which we were talking about earlier, do a lot of good things. A lot of these wildlife and hunting laws do a lot of great things, but sometimes in the wrong hands, they can be abused. A lot of people yeah. will take these laws and try to use them for their own personal gain, mm-hmm. which really sucks. But... Yeah. I think a lot of it stems from... it Well, a thing... Sorry. A thing that could help is people being more educated on oh yeah that's the a, subject or that's like on species thing. in general because what just what happened in PA some oh yeah this happened this, this happened like twice this year yeah the one case from a little while back of the woman who shot a husky and she thought or? it was a wolf no this was um, out west I forgot which state she shot a husky and. She thought it was a wolf. She skinned the thing yeah. and put a picture online, which is kind of scary. It's obviously a husky. Then we have here, Pam, Pennsylvania family's dog shot by hunter who mistook it for a coyote. Which look the education thing, like I get they're both canines, but it's pretty. Oh it can, it's pretty obvious There's a lot the of differences. differences. Yeah, that's how a lot of hunting accidents happen by people who are uneducated. Yeah. Some people, some people are just crazy confident too. They like try to hunt by sound and stuff like. Oh, yeah, I like hear they hear something, let me just shoot that direction. Yeah. That's a video I wanted to work on, so, but... I, I remember hearing a story, some some guy got shot because of that. Some guy heard rustling in the bushes, thought it was a deer, and just let around through. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And you gotta think, these people have licenses, they pass the hunter education course, which I took, which... I feel like doesn't do a good enough job at... Um, identifying animals they do good with a lot of the other stuff i i took the online course i'm going to try and do the field day sometime soon but like they teach you how to properly use weapons where to shoot Mm -hmm. on the animal but they don't really talk about identifying local species like yeah for the species they were showing they're showing i think this is just a universal hunting test because it said for new jersey animals and they showed different animals as targets they had white-tailed deer black deer black bear mule deer bear yeah (laughs) black bear Mule deer, bison, elk, so this clearly was not made for New Jersey. It's just a universal hunter course, I guess they use just in a bunch of different states. Yeah. 
Because I bet you there's people that think there's still elk in New Jersey from just watching that test or something. Yeah. A lot of people don't really know much about local wildlife and stuff, and I think it's good. That's something I want to try and do with the other channel we got going, uh, Boot and Wildlife. I want to try and make coyote video and maybe a coyote video if I can like find a very educational find, type stuff. Yeah, try and teach people about these things to prevent really careless, stupid mistakes like shooting somebody's dog. I understand sometimes there's dogs that do look like wolves, but you should, if you're going to be out in the woods with a weapon, you should be able to tell a difference between a husky and a coyote. There's a lot of differences. Yeah. A lot of major differences, too. Like a husky yeah. looks nothing like a coyote. This thing we have in America, which I, I won't say just America because it's also a European thing. Basically, I don't want to say a hatred for canines because we love dogs, but we seem to hate wolves. And here in America, we really hate coyotes. Like if you, it's not big in the outdoor industry, but I think they are some of the loudest people in that community. I guess you could say, who like actively openly really hate coyotes. And they like, just want to kill every single Yeah, the one. kill them all mentality. The only good coyote is a dead coyote. I think coyote. we touched up on this a little bit last episode, too. Yeah, we did. I just want to like, touch on it again, because yeah. I think it is interesting with this, where... I think with shooting people's dogs, people kind of put feelings before facts, I guess you could say. Like, they see something that looks slightly like a coyote, so they're like, I have to kill this oh, right yeah. now. Yeah, it's like there's not even a thought in their brain that it could be something Oh, there's something so many people like that. There's videos I've seen of a coyote just walking out of the woods, and people said, why did you not shoot this thing? All the comments and stuff. Why didn't you shoot this? Kill it now. Kill them all. Yeah. They say, you're you're not a true hunter if you don't shoot this coyote. So. Like, I get proper coyote management, like I was saying in the last podcast episode, but that kill them all mentality is just stupid. We, we need yeah. space for them, you know? Coyotes are pretty... Place insane animals though like the government the government did get involved in this people have been trying for so many years to kill them off and nothing's worked yeah very resilient yeah and now there's more coyotes than ever like they're all over the eastern coast and stuff i think maybe even down into the southeast well that's probably why they want you to kill so many i guess i guess but, but it, it's also like <laughs> it's hard to really exterminate coyotes you can't really do that because you can't really just you can't really kill them all because of the way they breed. They how do I word this? Or they have multiple pups per. Yeah, multiple pups. The denning season, they have a crazy amount of pups each um, each spring after, I guess, a hard winter or something. Yeah. Basically, what I want to say, like, if you shoot a bunch of coyotes one year, you think you got them all. There's going to be more that come by next year if you own like land or something. That's basically how it works. It's kind of like contradicting itself in a way. Yeah. Because like you kill the coyotes, say you're on mm -hmm. you have the property. Yeah. And you kill the coyotes on the property. What do you think happens? The deer population goes up. Mm -hmm. When when the deer population goes up, what's that going to attract? More coyotes. Yeah. Probably even more because there's more deer. Yeah, they go. So up that's probably why you kill coyotes, and then the next year there's even more, because there's more deer, and then in turn. More coyotes show up because there's more deer. Yeah, biologically also, they're taking the place of the wolves that we killed off, so they are they are necessary. They're such a weird animal because I hear people saying they're invasive because they're not historically from the east. They come from out west, but they didn't come here because of humans. They weren't, like, tranquilized and created over here. They came here on their own, mm. which is insane to me. They migrated over here, and now they just live here. 
Well, I was explaining to Jonas the other day that the coyotes out west are much smaller. Oh, they are. They're completely different. Because I was explaining that they're purebred, right? They're purebred coyotes. Purebred coyotes, When yeah. over here, they're a mix between, you know, the coyote and the... The eastern wolf. The eastern wolf. So they're bigger. They hunt more deer and stuff. Whereas the western coyotes diet is more of hunting small mammals, rabbits, mice, rodents, and stuff like that because... That's their niche. That's where basically an animal's job in an ecosystem. And usually the niche of hunting wolves is left to wolves and humans. However, we killed off all the wolves, so now it's up to the coyotes to kind of help out with that. And even bobcats, we've been starting to see that bobcats going after whitetails, which is pretty crazy. And like, I, when, um, when hunters say, like, oh, kill the coyotes so there's more deer for us to kill, right? Yeah. Or like, oh, there's enough hunters to be able to control the population ourselves. Like, we don't need coyotes. Yeah. If you think of it, hunting is kind of a dying industry. In now some ways, yeah. In some ways, because I'm not seeing as many hunters nowadays as apparently there were back in the day, you know? Yeah. So, like, they're like, oh, kill them all, kill them all. But the population of hunters is going down. Yeah. And they're trying to take down coyote population, then there's no balance, I think, in a way. Yeah, but the population of hunters, I feel like the population of fishermen went up, honestly. Oh, it did. 2020. Over, over quarantine, dude? There were so many people fishing over quarantine. Yeah. So. Especially YouTube as well. I will oh, say, the YouTube actually, fishermen, yeah. I will say, I, from <laughs> what I've seen, there's not a lot of youth hunters around us, at least. But yeah. I will say, YouTube well. has a big part in mm-hmm. getting people into that. Yeah, it can help, but it can so also hurt. It's yeah, so I don't a bit really of both. Know, I don't really know for a fact that the yeah hunting population is going down, but just from what I've seen around here, yeah. at least. Well, I don't know how big hunting is around us because we don't really have that much great land. We have some public land, but then yeah. it's not that big. It's like almost literally in people's backyards, so I think it's a land issue. Mm. Hunting's probably a lot bigger if you go out in Sussex, PA, and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, the population of hunters, I feel like it, it can fluctuate based on interest and stuff. Like, mm. um, I forgot where I heard this, but after World War II, hunting became really big because a lot of people got firearm training from the from the government and stuff. So a lot of people were out hunting, but there was also a lot of hunting accidents because from what I heard, I think this was from Steve Rinella or something, but hunting education wasn't as big of a thing, so... A lot of hunting accidents, which is a shame. But yeah, it definitely seems like there's a lot less hunters now. From what we've seen, at least. I don't know what's going on in other places, but... Um... Yeah, I don't know. It seems like, especially with the rise of the internet, every sort of community and stuff seems to be trying to pit themselves against each other. And hunting doesn't seem to be an exception. It's it's getting crazy if I look online on a hunting thing. I'm expecting us all to be trying to work together for conservation and stuff and, and people are there's like, no, some you people gotta do that, it my way my way only yeah you cannot hunt with a crossbow or else that's like a sin against that's one thing we can talk the about outdoors. that's so there's people who are like oh crossbow hunting is not hunting oh gun hunting is not hunting yeah the my opinion on it is i shoot a compound and okay. a crossbow whatever you're most comfortable with shooting is what in turn is going to be the best thing you can use to make a clean shot on an animal and put it out without injuring it. Mm -hmm. 
So in my opinion, whatever you're comfortable using that's going to, you know, we'll say euthanize or dispatch whatever you're trying to harvest in yeah. the quickest manner or the most efficient way you can do it I personally. I too. Quickest to clean Exactly. That's hunting. Whatever, that, that makes you a hunter. Yeah. If you're, whatever you're comfortable with shooting an animal with, if you're confident in it and you know you could put a nice clean shot on that animal, then you're a hunter. Yeah, people try and just go crazy about this, like, especially with the crossbow compound thing, how they talk about how it's cheating and stuff, and a lot of people seem to see it, I don't know how to word this, they see it more as a sport rather than, Yeah. I guess I don't know how to word it. I mean, technically it is a sport. Kind of a sport, but the people who like really see it as a sport, it, I guess the way I could word it, I'm not really a huge fan of sport hunting, I guess is how mm. I could word it, like hunting just for sport, I guess. Because I feel like a lot is lost when you just do it just For to get the biggest deer. Reason, like, yeah. A lot of people are focused, I have to get the biggest buck, and they lose their minds over it. They kind of lose what hunting's all about. Like, yeah. The feeling, I remember I was going with you to film some hunts. Some of the best experiences, we didn't shoot a single yeah, deer, shoot. but it was just... I didn't even pull the bow the yeah, no, back. Insane being out there, seeing how nature works. It was weird because we would go, some days we'd go to school or work and then we'd, spending all our time in the human world, then going out in the natural world and seeing... It was just such an ease for the soul. Yeah, an ease and it's just like, fascinating seeing how everything works. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of school, we were uh, fishing and it's Wednesday and we just graduated in 2022. Mm-hmm. So we were fishing we're like, imagine we were in school right now, like last year. <laughs> That would have yeah. sucked. Yeah, we woke up at 5 a.m. We had a really productive morning. Woke up 5 a.m., drove Gra- over to the lake. Grabbed, grabbed some breakfast from Old Town Deli and Boone. Go hit them up. They're really good. Yep, if you're ever in the area. And caught some salmon. Started yeah, to get big pickle. To it's pretty cool. Stuff. Yeah. I'm tired, man. Waking up. <laughs> yeah, really, it is. Really Definitely has an effect on you. But yeah, that's part of being an outdoorsman. Hunting, mm-hmm. fishing, whatever. Early mornings are really the best time for anything. Especially even wildlife well, photography, too. I mean, yeah, but like certain things, you know, sometimes the sunset is better. What you're but... going after. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Sunrise, sunset, best times. Usually for a lot of animals, but I guess. I, I got to see uh, Johnny's new lens in action today. Oh, yeah. So for those of you guys who don't know, I got this new camera lens, the Sigma 150 to 600 millimeter, which I'm going to try using for some new uh, projects we're working on, video projects and stuff, because I guess what we were saying earlier for the channel, I do want to try and build up some more educational videos, I guess you could say educational projects. And, and just better quality things. too, in general. Better quality, good quality is a big thing for me, but like educational stuff to help hunters fishermen basically anyone in the outdoors because i feel like it's something that is needed like our year of outdoorsman channel is kind of fun there's some educational stuff but it's really us going out it's there. educational it just shows yeah. us on our adventures it's mm-hmm. basically we bring you along on our adventures and what we experience out in the wild yeah it's more fun where the other channel boot and wildlife is an education i guess a crash course in white-tailed deer trout salmon Basically a lot of game animals and a lot of non-game animals, just so 
you can really learn about them, get into their world, because that helps a lot. I think when we go out, I have the camera and stuff, wildlife photography, it really helps you understand white-tailed deer a lot rather than just like going out to hunt one day of the week, like putting out the trail cameras, the processes of seeing different deer, seeing them at different stages of their life. That was a yeah. big thing. Just really getting into their life and how they live. And even still, there's a lot we don't know. Like you think you might know a deer, you see it on trail camera, might see it in person a bunch of times, and they'll always surprise you. Yeah. Same with fish, too, especially trout there. Oh my gosh, dude, don't even get me started. <laughs> They're insanely crazy fish. Trout can drive a man crazy. Let's just put it that way. A lot of animals can. I don't think we give them a lot of... I don't want to sound like a PETA person, but I don't think we give them a lot of credit because deer, for as dumb as they seem to be... Oh, trust me, I give them credit personally. They're crazy <laughs> they, smart. They outsmart me all the time. Yeah, it's really insane just to see how smart these animals are. So I guess I'll go back to what we were talking to earlier, try to tie this all into the... Stuff with endangered species, because white-tailed deer aren't endangered species, but they are a species that is worth conserving. And... But yeah, basically the importance of American wildlife conservation, a lot of the stuff we have... It all ties together. Yeah, basically. it does. It all ties together, whether it's hunting, fishing, or wildlife photography. What we do, videos, I don't want to say we're great, we're just a small YouTube channel from middle of nowhere in New Jersey but <laughs> it's like um it's kind of like the ripple effect like something happens yeah and how we're all kind of connected me making a video I had people commenting telling me they shot their first year and how they did learn a bit of stuff which I I really appreciated and like that but we it, can teach each it's other cool things. how we can connect yeah photography videography hunting fishing oh, bird yeah. What's it called bird watching or like bird watching, herping, which is catching reptiles and amphibians. Yep. I want to try and really. It all connects. Yeah, we just don't realize it because we're all kind of divided. I go on like herping meme pages and they talk about oh stupid rednecks and hunters and stuff. Yeah. I really hope there's a day where we could all, maybe we'll help it happen. We'll see, but we could all come together, bird watchers, hunters, fishermen, all together for conservation to preserve. The beautiful wildlife God gave us here in America. Exactly, because whatever laws they pass for wildlife conservation affects everybody that's into the outdoors. Yeah, everybody. Not everyone. Bird watchers, photographers, hunters, fishermen, trappers, everyone. So. That's what I was talking about the ripple effect for. Yeah, we're all like, connected. For example, what, whatever that act is they're putting into play. That, uh, they didn't. I don't think it passed. They, but. Well, if it does pass billion dollars it's not very specific that's the thing but it could it could well, be say, say it, it didn't pass say it mm -hmm. did pass yeah or it didn't pass either way it affects everybody whether it's positive or negative there could be things like if they decide to make a place a national park they might take away hunting which could stink but it all depends on different areas the way government handles things mm -hmm. the people we vote for and stuff and I think just as conservationists, it doesn't matter what you do. We have to just work together, maybe weed out the, I guess I could say bad people, not like... A problem. Not be rude to them, but you know, like people, the poachers, some wildlife photographers that can cause a lot of problems. Just like the bad people like that, and 
really just try to come together for conservation. That's something I hope we can try to do in the near future, maybe with our videos. Like wildlife photography, working alongside hunting and fishing to try and really just spread a positive message about preserving America's wildlife because it's really worth keeping. We have, I don't mean to brag, but we do have some of the best stuff in the world. We like a Amer very diverse uh, country, a yeah, lot of America, wildlife yeah. species, and we're just in New Jersey. I went to Florida once, Cape Cod. We barely discovered it. So we're just a, not even the tip of the iceberg. Not even the tip. So we've got a lot to learn, us personally. So we hope you step of the journey as we go search for American wildlife. Hopefully to spread the message to conserve it, and we'll try and do our part. And we hope you guys will enjoy coming along with us. So yeah, I guess so, that'll conclude the podcast. And that's our second episode of your average outdoorsman podcast, guys. Hope yep. you guys enjoyed, yep. and we will catch you back next time. Catch you back next time. All right. By the way, guys, just wanted to throw in: be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, both your average outdoorsman and Boot and Wildlife. And also follow us on Instagram to see some pictures. So, yeah. With that being said, we'll see you next time.